Hello world, welcome to the second episode of Outside the Valley, a podcast where we interview remote startup leaders, workers, remote work advocates, and companies who thrive outside of Silicon Valley. Outside the Valley is presented by ARC, the all-in-one remote hiring platform that helps companies to hire great remote software engineers and teams anywhere in the world. I'm your host, Jovian Gautama. Today we have Claire Liu on the show. Claire is the founder and CEO of Know Your Team, a software that helps you become a better leader for your company. We talked about building trust and social connections in the remote team, how you can be a better facilitator as a leader, and the role of empathy in a distributed team. Fun fact, before the interview started, Claire warned me that these are topics that she can go about for hours and hours, and it definitely is. By the end of the interview, I still felt like asking more and more questions because Claire is so knowledgeable and you really got this feeling that she can discuss about these topics for another 5 or 6 hours if given the chance. But nevertheless, our time was limited. I had a very fun chat with Claire and hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a thing or two from it. Here we go. Hello Claire, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Jovian. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, Claire, can you share a bit more about yourself and uh, your company, Know Your Team? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, essentially what we do, the company that I run, it's called Know Your Team, and we are a software company that helps managers avoid becoming a bad boss. So if you are a new manager, if you have been managing folks maybe for a few years and you just feel like you've never gotten formal training or all the the only resources you seem to find are books on Amazon or you know watching a few video classes or taking a few workshops, well then know your team is perfect for you because what we essentially do is we take theory and we turn it into practice for leaders. So we over the past uh, almost five or more now than five years have gathered data from thousands and thousands of uh, people and provided now software tools to help you actually become better as a leader. We give you educational content and guides and training to become a better leader. And then we give you an online community with over a thousand people or a thousand managers all over the world to learn how to become better as well. So we give you tools, training, and a community to, yeah, to be the leader you've always wanted to be. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. So one of the things that I notice when I go to your homepage, there are these three uh, big pillars of leadership. <laughs> you say like develop the three skills that the best managers have. Uh, yes. So based on your research, there are these three things that, that is most important for uh, leaders in companies, which is trust, honesty, and context. Can you elaborate yes. more on how did you codify these three um, aspects, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So when we were first starting out in in running uh, Know Your Team, we actually were a, a different company. We used to be called Know Your Company. So maybe um, three or four years ago, uh, we were actually originally a spinoff of Basecamp, which folks who are listening might be familiar with Basecamp. So they make one of the world's most project project or one of the most popular, excuse me, project management tools. <laughs> And yeah, and we're a spinoff company of them. But I give you this context because what we were focused on about three to four years ago was helping CEOs get feedback about their company. So what we would do is we had 
written and researched and tested hundreds and hundreds of questions about figuring out how to get the best feedback from leaders. And what we found is that when you actually looked at the data from these questions of either which questions led to the most revealing and interesting responses, which questions helped CEOs actually make changes in the business, which questions uh, folks and the rest of the company ended up benefiting from, what we found is that there were usually three different areas that leaders tended to be deficient in. And, you know, you, you would kind of cross-correlate different things and triangulate, and it really came down to three different buckets at the end of the day based on all the questions that we were asking. And the first was that especially if you were a new manager, the number one thing that you have to be focused on is building trust. You have to establish some sort of confidence, mutual confidence in one another that what I'm saying is true. What you are saying is true. I believe it to be true. And then I have faith that you will follow through on those things. Because that's essentially what trust really is at the end of the day. It's not necessarily rapport. That's actually a different kind of trust. It's called affective trust. But the most powerful form of trust, it's called cognitive trust, which is the belief in someone's competence right? So trust, it's your intentions matching your behavior. So that was really one of the first sort of big commonalities and discoveries that we made in the research is that this lack of trust without it, uh, actually, then you don't get good feedback and that the companies who perform the best, that managers were getting the most out of Know Your Team were ones who were asking questions that actually helped develop trust. So that was the first first um, bucket of things we identified. The second was around honesty. So to be an effective leader, you have to communicate honestly. And the reason for this is, as you can imagine, right? I mean, it's intuitive in so many senses. It's like, well, if I don't know what's going on, uh, or if I, if I don't know the truth of things, if I'm the last to know about problems, if people don't feel comfortable telling me what's on their mind and they're not honest, then uh, of course things aren't going to go well. But we objectively saw this, right? when we started um, running Know Your Company and that all the questions that we gathered revealed how, wow, uh, the majority of folks in a company feel like they, uh, there's something that isn't talked about in the company that they would like to know or that the majority of the company feels um, like there's feedback that they have that they've chosen not to share, right? And so what we noticed is companies that had greater honest dialogue, managers who were able to facilitate that better were leading to better outcomes, right? So that was a, a second observation based off all that research. And then the third was around context. So again, really intuitive. Context being what's going on, <laughs> right? Like, how do I, like what's actually going on in the team? Do I know who's working on what? Do I know where we're headed, like our vision and our direction as a company? And again, really intuitive. You read so much management literature and the idea of vision and direction and, and, and maybe goals, right, comes up. But it was really interesting. And, and the reason we call it context is because through all the questions that we would ask these thousands and thousands of managers, oftentimes a big insight that would come up in terms of a problem would be, I don't know what's going on in the rest of the team, or I only know what's going on with the two folks that I work really closely with, or I have no con, I, if, here was one question that we asked, um, if you had to describe the vision of the company in a sentence, would a clear answer come to mind? And the majority of people who were asked this question through Know Your Company, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of people said no, 
I couldn't tell you what, uh, what a clear vision would be, right? So again, just really um, indicative of how important that context is and how much we often lack that. So that's mm-hmm. uh, sort of a, a short version of how we really took the questions through Know Your Company of, you know, that's originally what we were called as a company. Right took those questions and uh, dove into understanding what are the patterns, what are the recurring themes, what, are, what, what does the data tell us in terms of the biggest holes uh, that, that managers are often missing and, and what leads to, to their success. Got it. Yeah, especially in remote companies, um, like these three things, trust, honesty, and context, like in my mind, yeah. it's even harder to convey. Just because <laughs> you're not, I mean, it's already hard already if you're in it's the already same hard, place. yeah. Then, especially when it comes to remote company, people are not in the same place, then right. more, put some more extra effort on that. So um, my right. next question will be based on your experience. I since you've also worked with remote leaders out there, yes, you see some kind of difference between the leaders of the remote companies, made CEOs or managers. Um, do you see them as somehow stronger at conveying these three points compared to non-remote companies, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. I do get the question a lot, Jovian, about what are the biggest differences between running a remote company and and running a non, non-remote company, especially for leaders who are about to make that transition. And it's fascinating because at the end of the day, running a team, whether it's in person and you're all in the same room or you're in completely different time zones all over the world, the fundamentals are the same, to your point, trust, con- you know, honesty, context, you know, important, yes. whether you are in the same place or not. But here's, here's the difference, which is the emphasis and the process for which you're able to fulfill each of those functional areas. And so what happens is when you are a leader of a remote team, you just have different points of emphasis. So for example, how you build trust is actually going to be a little bit different and you'll have to be a lot more deliberate about it than in a in-person company. For example, the way that most in-person companies and leaders will sort of rely on for building what I was mentioning earlier, affective trust, which is uh, a sense of trust that's uh, built upon interpersonal bond and relationships. So that kind of trust, you usually build that by taking someone out to lunch, right? right? Or swinging by their desk and catching up on their weekend. And when you're in a remote company, you still need that affect of trust. You still need that sense of social connection, which as you know, studies have shown has led to decreased stress, longer um, longevity even in life, lower turnover, right? You still need that. But then the question becomes, well, how do you do it? So very tactically, as a remote leader, the point of emphasis becomes around how do you actually create those kinds of channels and systems. So you have to do video chat, for example, right? So there's a lot of remote companies who have a best practice of sort of video always on, right, in a, in a remote company to help just even give that facial recognition or setting up time to have video chats, um, 
you know, to drink beer or have a tea or, you know, some, some companies will do book club, monthly book clubs over video chat, or one company does something called FICAs, which are like a Swedish coffee break. And they randomly assign folks over video chat to do that. So you just have to be a lot more intentional about building, um, building that, that trust, that affective trust in particular. And so the point of emphasis is different. So that's true for trust. And it's true particularly uh, for, for context. So if you can imagine understanding what's going on in the company, uh, how that's done in in-person companies is fairly straightforward. You have meetings, right? <laughs> yes. Meetings. So the, the, the primary way that most in-person companies, for the most part, and this has changed, I feel like, in the past few years, um, is meetings and emails. And then, right. you know, with, with the advent of Slack, you know, even in an in-person company, it's become more, uh, more, um, more prominent. Uh, but what's interesting, or, and, it's, and, and, and here's the thing, a lot, most of it is synchronous communication, in person, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. how you're communicating in, in context in particular, the direction, the goals you're trying to hit, what's going on in the rest of the company. That's how you do it in an in-person company. When you're in a remote company, calling meetings, you know, whether you, if you can imagine, like, let's say you've got someone in Prague and yeah. someone in Denver, like that's just not going to, that's just not going to fly, let alone um, just the logistics of, of, you know, video uh, chat, et cetera. So all of a sudden that, uh, that synchronous communication doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. So the point of emphasis and the change here and process for remote leaders is they have to be excellent at, in, uh, at writing mm -hmm. and written communication. Right. And then they have to be exceptional at asynchronous communication. So a huge emphasis on writing up reasons for why they make a decision, uh, writing up um, a CEO address, you know, once a week, for example, writing up um, and really codifying sort of a company's values or creed or uh, writing up, um, here's, here's that, you know, here's a summary of actually what's going on in the organization. So again, different, different points of emphasis and, mm -hmm. um, in both examples here, right. A ton of intentionality that has to be right. brought, um, as a remote leader, just to make sure that you're doing those things well. So it's not so much that you're doing things drastically different. It's the points of emphasis. It's also interesting that you mentioned about uh, leaders that want to transition to remote teams. Hmm, yeah. It's, it's actually not an easy task. Just like you mentioned, no, okay, just like you mentioned just now, if you want to transition into a good remote leader, these are the things that you have to do. Like you mentioned, uh, be better at writing and be better at facilitating. Um, so in, so it seems like as a leader, you have to facilitate more, especially in the transition position. So, oh, how can I establish the communication channels or processes? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think even yeah. I would go a step further, right? So I would say right. that you actually just have to be a lot better at those three things than the normal right. and average CEO, honestly, very frankly. And, and you know, part of this, um, you know, I think, you know, some folks may be like, well, Claire, you know, you run a remote team, like mm -hmm. I'm the CEO of a remote company. So perhaps, you know, this is a backhand compliment to myself <laughs> in some weird way, but that is not the intention. Well, all I am saying, all I, that is to be said is because you have some sort, you know, uh, seemingly obvious logistical challenges to overcome that there's a little bit more discipline and rigor that has to be in process that has to be applied um, to communication. It doesn't make things 
it doesn't natu- it doesn't automatically make you a better CEO. My goodness, it just means that you actually have exactly. to do a, a little bit more work. And because you're doing mm-hmm. a little bit more work in order to make it work, right. more than likely then you're probably doing a little bit of a better job. Regarding to this, I also noticed like in your previous writing, you mentioned or you emphasized about empathy a lot when it comes to uh, leadership. Like that's the number one thing. Um, it seems like when transitioning to be a, a remote team, a distributed team, you ask if you're a leader, you basically have to have a little bit more of empathy to put in the extra work to establish the whole thing from processes and whatnot. I personally think it doesn't seem that easy. My mm. question will be, yeah. can empathy be trained in your opinion? Hmm. What a great question. Um, I think we have to believe it can. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of studies that show um, that your exposure to people who are uh, of a different background than you, like the more time that you spend with them, the more affinity you actually s- you gain for them. But it, your affinity increases with the amount of time spent in person with people who are different from you, right? So mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different studies around empathy um, that, that show that it can be learned. And I think we have to, bo- I mean, even studies aside though, I think we just even from sort of a philosophical standpoint right. have to believe it can be learned or else we're kind of all screwed. <laughs> like right. if we can't learn it, yeah. right? I mean, we as humans, we are inherently selfish. Like we have, there, there's nothing that is ever going to rid us of the fact that in our genes, it's built in that we just propagate what is in our own self-interest. And yet what's so interesting about a team environment and what the role of a leader is, it's the sole function of a team is to be able to accomplish something that you wouldn't be able to accomplish on your own. So now all of a sudden the orientation to your point can't be, can't be so self-interested has to be a little bit bigger than that. And that's incredibly unnatural. And so it's definitely why I think empathy is something that comes up a ton through, through my writing. It's interesting though, Jovian, I think, I think the definition, though, of empathy has been very much skewed, though. So I think a lot of times, yeah, when we think about empathy, and it's why even when I hear the word, I'm like, yes, I don't even like to call it empathy sometimes. Because the problem with empathy, or that that term, is that most people think empathy means I'm going to treat people the way I want to be treated. That's what most people think is empathy. And when you actually take a minute to really marinate on that thread, that concept, I want to, I'm going to treat people the way I want to be treated. That's actually a really shallow version of empathy. Right. Because true empathy isn't treating people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. True empathy is treating people the way they want to be treated. Huge difference, right? Right. It, the consideration of an individual's preferences, starting with the other person's perspective and not your own. And so I would say, you know, when you think about, okay, well, how do we, you know, how do we train people to be more empathetic? I think the first step is you can't start with your own perspective. You can't say, this is what I would do, right? You have to really understand where the other person is coming from and start with their perspective, figure out what are their preferences. What are their inclinations? What is their experience? What have their interactions been? What's the personal dynamic maybe that's affecting them? Starting with them instead of starting with you. That's fascinating because um, just like you mentioned that 
empathy starts from understanding what the other people want. And it seems like in remote companies, the only way to understand what your employees want is creating a channel to understand that, like a way of social connection. So it's kind of like all tie up together, like the whole. Oh, totally. You, I mean, and it's, and even more than social connection, I mean, it's questions, right? right? So it's creating an environment for people to be honest. And then you have to ask the right questions. For example, asking, oh, what feedback do you have? Or how's it going? Or what do you think? Those right. questions don't work. Those questions don't work. They're too open-ended. They're too broad. They're too vague. People go, oh, everything, no, everything's fine. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have any feedback right now. It's all good, right? Right, right. Versus asking questions like, uh, what's something that frustrated you in the last week? Or is there anyone in the company you'd like to apprentice under? Or are we behind the curve on anything in particular, right? Those are so much more sort of meatier, deeper questions. And so that's really the core of, of, of a big part of Know Your Team is helping a leader both create that environment to, 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 so people can feel comfortable answering those questions and then we give you the questions. Yeah, so it's interesting because it feels like, um, like talking to you now, I just get this idea that, especially in remote teams, that leaders has to be facilitator, like, with a capital F, oh, that sounds a bit weird, but yes, you have to be like a big fa- fa- uh, facilitator on this. Um, so kind of moving on to the uh, practical way on how to yes. do that, like the exactly. social and things. Um, yep. How can a, a leader in the remote companies assist with creating this social connection? What practical ways they can do or um, practices, you know, like you mentioned about um, schedule time to get a beer, anything else? Oh my gosh, so much. I'm so glad you asked this question too, because at the end of the day, uh, the theory and the concepts behind it help, you know, they help make, um, they help make things salient, but it's what you actually do and how you change your behavior. That's the only way you actually see results. So here's the thing. If you want to, uh, these are two different questions, by the way, Jovian, you know, there's two parts to this, right? So there's one part, which is how do you actually create a, how do you create a sense of social connection in a remote team? Mm -hmm. That's one question. The second question is how do you create an environment where people actually will give you honest feedback? Those are actually two different things. They're sort of related, but they're two different things. So I'll sort of tackle them separately. So the first, which is around uh, social connection. And it's funny, I know you'd mentioned this prior to the call. I just published a piece uh, just like yesterday um, on on this and essentially i looked at data from the and by the way on our blog so for folks listening you can go to knowyourteam.com backslash blog you'll you can pull up the piece um and then what i did though is i pulled data from our online uh water cooler community it's our online leadership community of over a thousand managers from all over the world because most of them a lot of them are remote and we talk a lot about you know what are best practices for for folks staying um connected. So pulled a lot from that, pulled a lot from the interviews. You know, I have a podcast, as you know, as well, pulled a lot from the interviews that we've done over the past few years with remote leaders. And yeah, there are about seven things that that came up extremely um, consistently. So a few that are obvious that I'll start off with, right? So most folks who are listening to this uh, would say something like, oh, you should have a Slack channel or some sort of synchronous channel that's devoted to, um, something non-work related, right? Okay, pretty obvious. Um, What was really interesting though, in the research that we did, we actually ran a study with almost um, 
30% or sorry, almost 300 people, uh, remote managers and employees on this is just how many remote companies do this. And they really rely on synchronous chat in particular. So that was one. Um, another one that's, that's quite, um, you know, obvious are, you know, you do have to get together in person at some points, right? So doing team and company retreats. But what was really interesting about this uh, was, again, just widespread how doing them at least once a year and doing them uh, maybe, you know, two or three times a year is important. And that it's not just about uh, all strategic conversations, but at the same time, it's not all social. Like there's times to just work next to each other. There's so many best practices around running conference or company retreats. The mm -hmm. other thing that was interesting is most of the companies that we surveyed, they end up spending and investing in these retreats. So they spend anywhere. The most common response was about a thousand to $5,000 per employee per year for in-person meetups. So it's some, you know, it's a, it's a bit more, um, of an investment versus say in-person companies, right? Which you would probably guess is a lot less when right. we surveyed. Yeah. When we did the survey for, um, in-person folks, it was a lot less. So, so those are some, you know, obvious things, um, some more counterintuitive things. And this is what I really loved, um, was the prevalence of video chat. Like that was hmm. huge, right? And scheduling these video chats. So, doing them once a month and calling it something, right? Theming the conversations, pairing people across the company, doing this with re regularity and intention was so, so key. Uh, the second thing that came up, which um, I thought was really interesting, um, was onboarding and the importance of the onboarding process in creating social connections. So for example, uh, there's a company called Zapier. Um, they're about a yeah, 200 person remote company. We've interviewed their CEO, Wade, who's awesome on our podcast. And they do something called um, Airbnb onboarding, where they will actually fly their new person in for about a week. Um, and that helps create you know, a sense of rapport. Um, but a buddy system is huge. That was another thing. It's related to the onboarding, but having some sort of buddy system. So when we ran our survey, about half of all remote uh, managers and employees who replied said that their company uses a buddy system. And for in-person companies, it was a lot less. So definitely not the, no, yeah, definitely less than half. Um, but yeah, those are a few, few examples uh, of some of the tactics on, on social connection. Yeah, I can imagine like uh, there are some listeners out there that's looking, okay, I want to build a remote company and they see all these things that they have to prepare. Oh man, do I really need to do this? Like, well, what's funny, yeah, it's, I think, um, I, I think, you know, when you think about it or you talk to folks and I mean, even our conversation here, I'm like, oh, you have to be intentional. It's, a, it's more work, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the fascinating thing, Jovian. So if you look at the research that's been done around social isolation in companies, right? right? In-person companies almost equally suffer from social isolation or their employees suffer from social isolation oh, as remote companies. It's not exclusive to remote companies. And this is because in an age where we do have Slack and, or in, in, in chat, uh, in an age where um, even in an open office plan, people don't necessarily get to know each other one-on-one, -on -one, Right. there are still studies that have shown, CNN published something really interesting on this. I want to say last year or the year before, mm -hmm. where, um, yeah, social loneliness in companies is, is widespread. And it's not just in remote companies. And that actually 
also proved to be true in our own small survey that we ran with about 300 some people. The remote managers and employees said that most of them said they occasionally feel socially isolated. The same, literally almost the exact same percentage of folks who worked in person said the same thing. Right. So I guess one thing then I'll, I mean, what, what I guess that highlights, right, if you want to, it's just one data point, right? But one thing that I would say to folks who are like, oh, it sounds like more work. It's like, it is more work because you're trying to avoid the negative effects that you're worried about in a remote team. But the truth of it is that these problems still persist, whether or not you're remote or in person. You just tend to do more work in remote in a remote setting to be proactive about it. And in an in-person company, you kind of wait to let the problem kick you in the butt. Right. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned because um, this issue is actually not exclusive to remote teams. And yes. I realized that it's also not only this, a lot of things, even very practical things. For example, um, last time I talked to the CEO of TechJar, um, uh, Mark Fagiano. Mm-hmm. So um, they're fully distributed. And he talked about how in his team, um, they're trying to uh, improve this. Sometimes um, a new team member cannot find where things are. They use Basecamp. Yes. It's hard for him to navigate. And I, and I told him, so we here, we are a, um, a hybrid team. Mm-hmm. Some of us are co-located, some of us are uh, remote. Right. And I told Mark, uh, that's not exclusive to remote team. We also, even right. though these people are, exactly. same, I cannot find things. Where is this document? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think the problems just seem a little more obvious or you're, you're, they're a little more top of mind in a remote company because you're like, wait, I can't find things like that makes sense that I can't find it because we're not in the same place. So I, I need to find some processes or ways to, to, to do that better versus when you're in an in-person company, you sort of rely on the things that used to work. And then as you get bigger or as things get more complex, the mm-hmm. problems sort of sneak up on you. So I love that anecdote. And, I, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Jovian, about how trust, context, honesty. Right. Right. Those things still matter whether you are in person or you are a remote CEO. It doesn't matter. Those, they matter. Right. Um, still talking about social connections. So yeah. what are your thoughts on hybrid teams? Because it can be tricky, right? If half of the yes. team is co-located and half of them are uh, not, yes. and then how should a leader think about this? Like what possibly Yeah, totally. No, another fantastic question. So this comes up a lot in the water cooler community as well that we have because so many of the teams there are also hybrid teams. And the teams that have done this successfully talk about first and foremost, it's a mindset thing, right? Mm -hmm. So to, to, you know, to actually think about remote, your remote employees, not as second class citizens, not as remote employees, but as their own, um, you know, just on an equal footing. And so as a result, communication and the processes for communication flow accordingly, meaning that um, everyone's still in using the synchronous chat. Everyone, right. even if you are in the office, you, you do a Zoom meeting. You don't do an in-person meeting, right? And, you know, of course, there are different exceptions right. you make to that, right? But the idea is, you know, to type up notes and share them with the rest of the team, just as you would if you personally were remote. So there's a communication sort of standard that's established across the team, whether or not you are in person or remote. So that's one thing. The other part that gets talked about, though, is sort of like you were mentioning around social connections. So let's say you have folks who are going to go out um, for lunch, um, you know, uh, when they're all in the office. Oh man, what about for the folks who, who don't though? Like, is right. that unfair? Like, how do you do that? So some companies, you know, they'll actually send a pizza 
to oh, um, yeah, or a gift card to folks who are remote. Um, some will, um, again, this is where the video chats come, come in handy. Uh, some will do, uh, like an adventure day. Actually, this, there's one company, I think meet Edgar, they do this where they send their remote team on just like a fun scavenger hunt that they've created for the day. Like actually proactively creating fun experiences for their remote employees proactively as a way to. Um, sort of just balance things out a bit. So it's not just the in-person folks that are sort of getting all the fun in-person activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of this, uh, going back to empathy, when you're co-located sometimes, when, like for the team members that are in the same office, you don't really feel the pain of those remote team members uh-huh. until yep. one day you realize, um, so just my own personal anecdote. So <laughs> yeah. One time, like I was in the remote meetings, I usually stay in in the office, right, most mm-hmm. of the time. And but there are some times where um, I joined uh, meetings remotely, and it's like huge meeting, all all hands meeting. Yep. And then I feel that kind of hey, they're laughing about a joke, but what's the joke? Like I feel mm. left out. So that's kind of like yeah. things, and you cannot feel that. Uh, when you're not the remote team members on a team. So yeah, it's it's kind of bad that you have to feel the pain. So like you mentioned, I feel like um, uh, companies should proactively try to um, attack the pain from there before right. it comes out, yeah. Right, and I think a big part of this too, and it comes back to communication, is mm-hmm. asking your employees what they would prefer because some remote employees actually don't mind missing out on the ah. social stuff. It's actually one of their favorite parts of working remotely is <laughs> they don't have to do the happy hours yes, or the dinners exactly. or whatever, right? And because everyone is different and this goes back to really understanding what true empathy is instead of our own um, sort of inflated sense of empathy is that if we're really trying to be empathetic as leaders, then we're going to want to first start with the other person's perspective, which is what do they prefer? And the way you figure that out is you ask them, right? You ask, <laughs> yes. what's your orientation around, um, uh, you know, social activities or, you know, would you prefer that, you, you know, would you enjoy receiving like a fun dinner out with your family or would you prefer some sort of activity or a stipend or, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Giving options, right? So mm-hmm. that's another part of it, providing choice. Um, right. And, and, and again, coming from the other person's perspective instead of just, you know, assuming, oh, they're fine or, oh, they want X, Y, and Z. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. So, Claire, we've talked about um, leadership in remote teams and in general a little bit. So, for the next question, I want to flip it on the head a little bit. So, from the employee perspective, so for the yes. non-leaders yet. So how can an employee be a better employee as in managing up? Like how to direct our leaders in our company to be better? Like is, should I give like subtle hints or is there any best practices that I want to tell them, hey, this part is actually not working so well. Yep. Can I do this or yeah. Yep. No, uh, uh, this is um, such a wonderful, wonderful consideration. Wonderful question. So to be the best employee possible, right? It, there's there's sort of a, a few few things, and, and to manage up well, there's a few things you have to do. So first is personal accountability. So you have to walk the walk, or rather walk the talk, I suppose is actually how the phrase goes. But <laughs> you have to start with yourself, right? So if you feel like there's something that should be different in the company, you want uh, the leadership team to be more transparent. You should consider, well, how transparent am I about my work? Right. right. 
if you are wanting the company culture to be a little bit more friendly, more welcoming, well, to what extent have you spent time personally with the new hires in the team, right? And gone out of your way to invite them to lunch, et cetera. So just starting with yourself and that personal accountability is first and foremost uh, where to be. The second thing to keep in mind is that as, as hard as it is to obviously share opinions without a concern of retribution or, hey, right. how is this going to affect the way people think of me? At the end of the, at the, end of the day, dissent is a responsibility mm. as, a, as an employee, meaning that truly, if you, if you do feel like something could be better and you feel like you're in a position to, to say something, right? Uh, this is barring that you have a terrible boss who might like actually fire you or something, right? You know, I, yeah. I understand that there are some yeah. really terrible situations folks can find themselves in. Mm-hmm. But, but given that you, let's say, are in a situation where, where you do feel strongly about something and you're just wondering whether or not, whether or not it's worth your time to right. share it, right? The thing we have to keep in mind as, as, um, as colleagues is the other person is never going to know unless you say something. Yes. So if you want any possibility of something to be different, you have to say something. So dissent is very much a, a responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a second piece. A third piece is um, to give a little grace. So uh, we, when we're working in teams, we often don't know the full story. And, and it's not to let people off the hook, but to give a sense of respect and, 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 and like I said, grace that maybe there's something you don't know, right? Assuming positive intent, right? Maybe exactly. your boss, and again, this isn't to excuse any misbehavior or, or, or poor treatment. It's merely to almost give yourself a sense of patience, right? And right. seeing the outcomes, seeing the outcomes through. So to have a little, have a little grace um, in, in waiting for those things to be true. And then the fourth thing is, and this is really interesting. So this came from a big survey that we ran last fall around sharing team or sharing information in teams. And we asked managers, what's the number one thing that employees should be sharing with their managers? And the number one thing that they said is progress. As an employee, if you are wanting more leverage around a project, if you are wanting anything, you know, sort of different to happen, one of the best ways to do this is actually to be extremely proactive about sharing your own progress. That's the number one thing your manager Mm -hmm. wants to know about. So the more you can do that and pull back the curtain on your work and show what's happening, why it's happening, et cetera, the better position you'll be in, right, for for different things to change for people to listen. Um, so yeah, so I hope, hope for folks who are listening, those are some good places to start for managing up. Yeah. I feel like, uh, if we come back to the, um, three main skill that three pillars, like cross mm-hmm. honesty and context, um, from my experience, if you're an employee and, uh, you know, like you mentioned, like bearing, you have a terrible boss, I think right. really great to practice, conveying context yes like why you do what you do because trust totally. and honesty i will assume that if you're a great company then you trust your leaders and you believe that your leaders 
are honest and also vice versa you know that you are honest and you are uh you can be trusted but the context of can fall short because mm. um, probably i don't know how to convey progress well so right it's hard yeah it's, it's it's actually not easy yeah it's super super hard. it's actually another big reason we built know your team quite frankly is uh, we have something called a heartbeat question which helps keep mm. everyone on the same page and it's to help also eliminate any you know, having too many meetings, right? And doing too many daily standups. Mm -hmm. But no, we built it for that exact same reason, which is that it is actually surprisingly difficult. The bigger that you get, the more complex things become to figure out, wait, what is, what is like the person next to me working on? What's right. the CEO working on? Like, I have no idea how she or he spends their day. It's right. Um, and you, you know, you used to sort of do it well, maybe in a four-person company, but then you hit 40, maybe you're at 100, 400, et cetera. And it just gets harder the bigger you get. Mm -hmm. uh, Claire, I can continue on and on for, for this conversation <laughs> for like hours. I mean, it's really awesome like talking to you now, but apparently I don't want to waste a lot of your time. And how, so where can listeners find you online? Great question as well. Um, and by the way, it's been a <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a pleasure to um, to be to be on here, Jovian. You've been mm -hmm. asking some really wonderful questions. So, well, um, yeah. So, obviously, if you've been interested in any of the stuff that we've been talking about, um, and actually taking action on and implementing them, right? How do you build mm -hmm. trust, create context and honesty? Obviously, would love to have you visit knowyourteam.com, sign up for a free trial, give our product a spin. You can see the water cooler. Um, you can see our guides. You can see our tools. Uh, the second thing, if you're thinking, you know what, I'm not really ready yet to have tools and training, but the community, that's really interesting. Like, I just kind of want to kind of learn as I go. So we do offer um, membership just to the community as well. It's 20 bucks a month. And so if you go to the watercooler.io, you can um, check that out. Uh, if you're thinking, okay, that's even too much for me, Claire. Like, I just really want to read some stuff on occasion. So two great places to do that. So we've got our blog, knowyourteam.com backslash blog. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, and then, and then we've got a podcast. So if you don't like to read, you can listen to us <laughs> and it's called the heartbeat and you can find us on, you know, Apple podcasts, pretty much everything and on our website as well. All right. Awesome. So yeah, for listeners out there, um, I will highly recommend checking out, uh, Claire's podcast, blog post, whatever it is. Even months ago, before we started this podcast, we've been passing around um, Claire's article on uh, oh, our company, like hot potatoes. Hey, good. this is really good. This is really good. And when I tell my coworkers that, hey, we'll have Claire Lou in our podcast, and they're like, really? Can I join? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um, so flattered. So no, I'll just give you the recording. So, yeah, Claire, thank you so much for your time today. Jovian, thank you so much. It's been truly a treat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. And that's it for another episode of Outside the Valley brought to you by ARC. We created this podcast with the hope that in each episode, you can learn something new from other remote startup people. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at jovian at arc.dev. It's J-O-V-I-A-N at A-R-C dot D-E-V. Or you can find us on Twitter at arc.dev. See you next week with another episode of Outside the Valley and ciao.